day, O Lord, hallelujah, that we can gather here and worship your holy name, hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for this time of worship, Father God. We, O Lord, feel the move of the Spirit here this morning, O Lord God, hallelujah. I pray, O Lord, that you would do a great work here today, Father God. Continue to abide in us, Father God, hallelujah. May your words abide in us, Father God, hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for the choir that has just led us, Father God. Continue to bless them and anoint them, Father God. Hallelujah. Lord, we pray that your word will go forth today, O Lord. Changing hearts, changing minds, Father God. Bringing forth salvation, Father God. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name I pray. You may all be seated. Thank you, choir. Praise God. Praise God, hallelujah. For our short meditation, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 7, 1 to 23, verses 1 to 23. I've uh, titled the message today, Revealing the Authority of Christ. And I'll read. <clears throat> now when he had concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come, to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying, The one whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself. For I am not worthy that you should enter my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned around and said to the crowd, that followed, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well, who had, who had been sick. Now it happened the day after, he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Do not weep. He said, He came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, though, all and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us. God has visited his people. And this report about him went through all Judea and the surrounding region. The disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Then the men who came, had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has said to us to you, saying, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? 
At that very hour, he cured many infirmities, afflictions, evil spirits, and to the blind he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John these things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Jesus finished preaching the word to his disciples and the crowd that had gathered. In my last sermon that I gave, I had spoken the ending of that was see right, uh, see right, build right. Um, so the ending of chapter 6, Jesus had just finished the Sermon on the Mount. He had finished the teachings of the kingdom of God. And now he's returning to Capernaum. He returns to his hometown and this is the place where Jesus would often return after preaching. A group of Jewish elders meet him with an earnest but unusual request to heal the servant of a Roman centurion. Why is it unusual? Normally, the Jewish people at that time did not even want to interact with the Gentiles. There was a social wall of separation between the Jews and Gentiles. The separation was not something God ordained. It was, in fact, something that they practiced because of their subjugation under the Roman Empire. There was no law that God gave that they shouldn't eat or have fellowship with the Gentiles. Rather, God wanted the Jewish people to be a witness to the Gentiles so that they would come to know God and enter into the faith. This is why the Pharisees and other religious leaders hated the tax collectors, because the tax collectors would be their Jewish counterparts collecting taxes for the Roman state. The Roman centurion is an honored military title that a common man can attain. Starting as a normal soldier, he would work his way up and serve his way up the ranks to become a centurion. The Roman legion had 6,000 soldiers, and each legion had 60 centurions. So each centurion would be in charge of about 100 soldiers. They would be enforcing discipline, making sure they're battle-ready, giving commands and strategies. The text doesn't give too much details about this particular centurion. But what is written, we can gather that he was a man of a good character. He didn't want his servant to die and sought out what was probably the last-ditch effort to save him. Even though with his wealth and his position, he could have easily replaced that servant. But he went out of his way to request Jesus to heal his servant. The centurion only heard about Jesus, never met him, nor witnessed any of the miracles that Jesus had done previously. The man was a wealthy man, and he loved the people of Israel which is uncommon among the, Jews, uh, among the Romans due to Israel persistently trying to reestablish their own authority. There were many uh, Jewish people who didn't like being under Roman rule or influence and wanted to restore Israel to its own nation. But even though there was a conflict between the people of Israel and the Roman state, this centurion showed unusual kindness to the Jewish people, putting aside the political differences of the time and showed love towards the Jewish people by building them a synagogue. Because of this centurious generosity, the Jewish leaders and elders of that region were willing to go to Jesus on behalf of the centurion. And out of respect for the centurion, they approached Jesus and plead with him to heal the centurion's servant. Because the centurion is deserving, which means that the elders 
didn't believe that all the people that Jesus healed was, or restored was deserving. In other words, the elders didn't believe or understand the authority in which Jesus walked and operated in. Regardless, Jesus goes with them to the centurion's home. And just before reaching the residence, the centurion sends friends to Jesus saying, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. This is an established soldier, a political authority, who has financial power, who has influence in society. By all accounts, he's a decent person. Why is he saying this? The centurion doesn't even come out to meet Jesus. He tells Jesus through his friends, just say the word and my servant will be healed. The centurion gives this reasoning. I am placed under authority. I say to one and he uh, go and he goes. I say to another one, come and he comes. He tells his servant, do this and he does it. This Gentile centurion perceived that Jesus was no ordinary man or a prophet. He had divine authority. This is all from just hearing about what Jesus did and taught. The elders are crowded around Jesus. His disciples are crowded around Jesus. But this man, he gives the respect and reverence. I'm not worthy to come to you. Everyone who knew Jesus didn't have this reverence that this centurion had. And Jesus marvels at his faith and grants his request. Jesus turns around to the crowd around him and makes a statement. I haven't found such great faith in all Israel. This is a rebuke to the people of God who knew the law, who studied the law, who put it into practice, all the regulations and precepts. In essence, Jesus is asking, why doesn't Israel, who has seen the miracles and the power of God demonstrated, perceive who Jesus was? Just a point. Jesus marveled at the centurion's faith. Don't misinterpret this. He wasn't surprised at the demonstration of faith. Jesus knew that this was going to happen. Jesus was overjoyed and appreciative of the centurion's demonstration of faith in Christ. Everyone around Jesus thought that Jesus had to be in the presence of the afflicted for healing to occur. The centurion simply says, say the word. The Gentile who has merely heard about Jesus, the healer, has perceived the divine authority. In the times past, Rahab also heard about what God had done in Israel. And the hearts of the people melted. And she requested to be spared and join the Israelites. The next day, Jesus goes into the city called Nain. Nain is about a 30-mile southwest of Capernaum. At 700 feet above sea level, this is an arduous trip. It's uphill climb. But Jesus had a divine appointment with a woman who had lost everything. Her dead son is being carried out to the burial site when the funeral procession encounters Jesus. The woman who lost her husband now has lost the only living person in her family. There's a large crowd surrounding the woman. There's a large crowd following Jesus. But what's ironic is that no one asks Jesus to restore this young man. The day before, the Gentile man, a Gentile centurion, declared the authority of Jesus. Just speak the word. Today, no one utters a word on behalf of the widow. 
the people once again limited Jesus' authority. They believed he could only heal those who are sick and afflicted. Raising the dead back to life is a whole other level of authority. Surely Jesus doesn't have that kind of power. Up to this time, Jesus had demonstrated his divine power over sickness by healing people. He also demonstrated his power by casting out demons. He healed a man with a withered hand, a paralytic, a man afflicted with leprosy, a woman with fever, all kinds of diseases. He healed the blind. Jesus again reveals his authority. He has power over death. Young man, I say to you, arise. And the young man wakes up. And the dead, from the dead, and the crowd is fearful, astonished. They call him a great prophet. This last section of our reading, John the Baptist, who's in prison right now, asked Jesus a peculiar question. Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? John is in prison because he stood up to Herod. He stood against what, was, what Herod was doing. He took his brother's wife, and John spoke up against him, saying it's not lawful. And because of that, John is in prison. But John had an expectation of Jesus. He's the Holy One, the one that the prophets and the saints have been looking for, the promised Savior, the one who was to restore all that was broken. John is observing that Jesus isn't restoring. He's being dismissed by the religious leaders. He's being challenged by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There's rampant unbelief and hostility towards Jesus and a rejection of him as Messiah. John didn't expect this for Jesus. He didn't expect Jesus to be concealed and harassed. He wanted Jesus to be exalted. But Jesus' response to John was demonstrating the fulfillment of Scripture. Healing the infirmities, casting out evil spirits, causing the blind to see. The gospel, the good news is preached. Jesus' authority was questioned. But Jesus wasn't here to appease anyone's expectation of him. He isn't here to fulfill mankind's wishes and will. He was being led by the Spirit day by day to fulfill the mandate given to him until he completed his mission to the cross. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Encouraging John that Christ's mission is being fulfilled even if it looks like it isn't. These verses that we read are Christ revealing his divine authority over all creation. He teaches the deep things of God and then demonstrates the power of God. Those with a divine perspective are able to understand who Christ is and what he's claiming. Others with a carnal perspective object to what Christ teaches and does because it doesn't fit with their rationale. The leaders expected the Messiah to be a military leader, leading their nation out of the grip of the Roman Empire. They expected the Messiah to nullify their enemies with divine power. Instead, what they observe is a man who's healing the sick, eating with sinners, showing compassion to the broken, lifting up those who are not even his people or race. The elders who followed the rules and studied the law ensured that others followed the law as well, but the miracles weren't working in them. It's working in Jesus, whose teaching is foreign to their understanding of scripture. What was established, the religious rituals with the strict discipline of conduct and practice is being unraveled with Jesus demonstrating the power of God. Jesus claimed that the authority which he operates from is from above. As the Father directs, so he does. And in the same way, he expects his church to operate as he does. 
The text we have read should challenge us as Christians. And I want to highlight a few points. Are we inviting his authority into our lives? The Roman centurion, a Gentile, the one who walked outside, who was outside the people group of God, recognized the authority that Christ walked in and submitted an appeal to him. Are we willing to submit to his authority or are we putting limits on his authority in our lives? Is Christ Jesus Lord of all? What does submitting to his authority look like? First of all, we must understand he's God Almighty. There's none other. His teachings and his word have priority over our desires, our goals, our ambitions, and how we conduct our lives. When we surrender to his authority, we become his representatives, his adopted children. We no longer live for ourselves, but we're given the privilege to bring glory to his holy name. We shouldn't put his name to his or his church to shame. We see this, you know, in the secular world, people who work for large companies, in social media they're caught doing something wrong or socially irresponsible. Right away they're fired. Right away they're, they're called into the HR and said, you are on social media, we caught you doing this. We, you are representing our company. We can no longer employ you because you've brought our company's reputation down. How much more care and consideration do we as Christians need to conduct our lives in a way that doesn't bring shame to the name of Christ, but brings reverence? Jesus has given us authority through his Holy Spirit. When we surrender to Christ, we are sealed by his Holy Spirit. When we are baptized by the Spirit of God, we're endued with power. Power to do what? To live a life that he has called us to. To stand firm in the things of God. To overcome the world. To attain the promises and purposes of God for our lives. To be a witness of Jesus sharing the gospel to the world around us. What does the word do to us? The centurion only heard about Jesus. And then there was this feeling of unworthiness in him. He felt uncomfortable allowing Jesus to enter his home or even to meet him. There's a conviction of sin. When we hear the word every week, is there a conviction in our hearts? Is there an uneasiness that builds up within us telling that we need to correct our lives? We need to ensure that our lives are on the right track. That we need to realign our lives to what the word of God tells us? Or do we ignore that feeling and justify ourselves like the religious leaders at that time, having confidence in their works rather than the finished work of Christ? Are we saying to ourselves, I'm a good person. I pay my taxes. I don't steal. I don't curse. I serve in church. I give to the church. I'm a moral person. If we say these things, then we don't take time to allow the word of God to point out our deficiencies and ask the Holy Spirit to help us correct our walk. We are no better than the religious leaders of that time. Jesus, God looks to bestow grace on those who have a humble heart, who are willing to admit their spiritual bankruptcy, willing to admit their weakness, willing to admit that they're not worthy of God's love and mercy. Do we believe that Jesus can change our life? Jesus meets the funeral procession. The giver of life meets a captive of death. The young man was set free from death. His mother was set free. The crowd who was mourning suddenly became celebrate, celebrates life. This scene 
of Jesus meeting this procession reminds us Jesus is able to change our circumstances. When he walks into our situation, what is dead can be given life. What is hopeless can be restored. What looks like the end can be turned into a new beginning. This scene is also a stark reminder of the frailty of our lives. One day we will also depart from this world and be carried to our resting place. Will we hear his voice? Good and faithful servant, welcome. Why is Jesus offensive? Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Following Jesus is offensive to the world around us. Many think of him as a great individual, a prophet, a great teacher. When we claim that Jesus is God and the only authorized way to heaven, the world can't believe it. What is offensive about Jesus? What has he done that causes men to reject him? Firstly, the cross and what it represents is offensive. How can God pay for men's sins? How he allows the worst of the worst into his kingdom? The murderers, the abusers, the depraved men, how can God forgive them? The sinners who found Christ and changed their lives, the world can't stand that God would have mercy on them. Secondly, what about the good people and everyone who has done the right things in life? How can they end up being rejected by God? How can a loving God send people to hell? Is it hard for the world to understand that we cannot work our way into heaven? Through our good deeds and service, our faith is reliant on Christ's finished work. Only, his faith, only our faith in Christ leads to salvation. By relying on good works, the individual rejects the atoning sacrifice of Christ and says, I know a better way, and ends up rejected by God. Every other religion other than true biblical Christianity teaches us that we must do good deeds to get into the grace of God. The world teaches us there are many pathways to God. The teaching is simply rejecting the authority of Christ. The world is offended by the single road to salvation through Christ Jesus. We cannot earn eternal life. It is a costly gift, freely given to men by God. So, let us examine ourselves. Is Christ the ultimate authority in our life? His word reminds us his authority is over life and death. Are we conforming to his will, dying to ourselves daily and following him? When Christ enters our broken lives, or our lives, our broken situations in the areas we can't control, the uncertainties of the future that haunt us, our life will never be the same again. His divine authority rewrites our destiny. What is broken can be mended. What we can't control will be brought to peace. And our uncertainties become our confidence in him. When we stand for Jesus, not everyone will respect us. Not everyone will tolerate us. The authorities in this world may stand against us. The world around us is becoming more and more hostile and challenging. But let us remember that this world is temporary and our hope is in his everlasting authority. May God bless you with these words.